welcome to Connected Communities, a podcast produced by TCU's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. You're listening to the second episode in our series about connected educators. Connected Communities features conversations about trust-based relational intervention, TBRI, and its application within different communities of care and practice. TBRI is an attachment-based, trauma-informed intervention designed to meet the complex needs of children and families who have experienced adversity, early harm, toxic stress, or trauma. This series is all about the education community, and today we're featuring a conversation between our host Sarah Mercado and Terry Wood, a TBRI practitioner with a 30-year career in education. Terry started out as a high school English teacher and then moved on to be a school counselor and later a district counseling coordinator. She currently serves as the TBRI coordinator in Austin ISD in Austin, Texas. Here is our conversation between Sarah Mercado and Terry Wood. Hello, Terry. How are you? I'm great, Sarah. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. When I think about schools, you're one of the first people that comes to my mind because um, right when I joined the Institute, um, I think is about the time that Austin ISD was, you know, basically joining the Institute, for lack of a better word. And um, pretty soon after, we had that first uh, training in, in Austin for. I think like 60 of your folks. So Mm -hmm. um, as we considered doing this podcast, there was no doubt in my mind that we wanted to try to have you on here. So thank you again for joining us. Happy to be here. So to get us kicked off, why don't you just share with us just a little bit about yourself? How, How did you land in education? What roles have you had? Maybe, I mean, goodness, it's a hard environment to work in. So what inspires you to continue to serve? And then just how do you serve now? Okay, so I'm rolling into my 30th year this year in education. And um, started out as a high school English teacher and really got into teaching because I love the subject. And in probably in kind of a deeper, more personal sense beyond the subject was for me, education was a way out, a way to better things, a way to um, have a better Mm -hmm. life. And I really wanted to share that with other people. And what I what I discovered as a teacher was that after a point, the subject really became second to my work because I had students coming to me on almost a daily basis with really kind of serious, hard things that were going through. So things like a pregnancy substance abuse, self-injury, homelessness. And I tried to help or support the best I I could at the time, but really felt like I didn't have the skills that I needed to to really, um, you know, help make a difference for the students. And so I returned to school and got a master's in school counseling and then spent 15 years as a school counselor. Oh my and, gosh. You know, wow. yeah. And and did that at the elementary level because I wanted to understand just kind of how students progress through the education system and the needs that um, you know, we see at each level and places that we can intervene and support at each level. So with those experiences at elementary and at secondary, I then became the elementary counseling coordinator for AISD. 
and help support oh, probably about 100 elementary counselors and did that for about four years. And during that time, I was fortunate, as you mentioned earlier, to attend the um, TBRI practitioner training that was provided for us here in Austin. And that was a life-changing, game-changing experience. Mm. And myself and one other person that was trained kind of at my level brought it back and just started kind of training these little one-off sessions. And people almost immediately saw the value and um, the practical applications of the work. And we were um, just bombarded with requests. And really, ever since then, I've been fortunate to um, have some community members who believe in the work and have um, funded my position to solely focus on the implementation of trauma-informed responses in AISD, of which TBRI is a huge, huge part. And this past year, we were awarded a half-million-dollar grant from the Department of Justice to get 100 practitioners trained in AISD so that we can build capacity and provide trauma-informed um, practices training throughout the district. That's, that's unbelievable. And uh, I, um, I mean, your whole story is just, is, you, you, it's just unbelievable. When you said to me that the subject, meaning like English, I think you were talking about at the time, became the second most important part of my work. I just thought, I mean, before you knew anything about trauma, you, you were seeing behind the need um, of, of what could be inhibitory to, uh, you know, a youth's ability to learn. And, you know, that, that is, in a nutshell, the, the lens of what we want people to see when they're, they're looking at kids. Because, um, you know, I think the hardest thing for, for really anybody working with kids, no, no matter what their histories are, is that the thing we want is the thing we want often. And so to have the capacity to say, the thing I want has to be secondary to the thing they need is just phenomenal. And it's so exciting. And I, I just can't wait to hear what you come up with as we move forward. You mentioned your amazing grant, and we're excited to do that. And we're excited that we've been working with you guys for a long time, and we're, we're able to make that work. So if districts are out getting grants in the hopes of things like this, we would also encourage you to uh, make sure you're working alongside us so that our capacities meet and the ability to meet that need. Um, so Terry, I just want to thank you again for your, your, just that ability to see the need behind the behavior or behind even your goal. Um, so I'm curious, I'm talking to a lot of schools and hearing the different plans that districts have. What does it look like right now? We know we're in the middle of COVID. We know it's um, the very end of July right now and schools are prepping to go back. Um, and everybody has, you know, in some ways, some similar plans, but in some ways, different plans. So would you mind um, sharing Austin's the school district's plan to go back. And also just really briefly, maybe before that, how big is the district? How many students? How many schools? That kind of stuff. So AISD is a fairly large urban district. We have approximately 81,000 students and 129 campuses. So 
you know, pretty large, a lot of different needs across Austin. And it's um, big. Yeah, it's, it's a big district. And so we really started planning for reentry in the spring. And what's been, I guess, kind of an ongoing challenge is, you know, we started planning pretty early on. But as everyone knows right now, you plan for what you think the rules are going to be or the needs are going to be. And then it shifts um, based on, you know, what's going on with the pandemic, what the, the numbers look like in terms of, of cases and, and what the what the restrictions are at the mm-hmm. federal, state and local levels. So the schools are, are having to be, I think, kind of flexible and responsive you know, to those moving issues and those moving guidelines. So in June, the superintendent, um, Dr. Paul Cruz, came out and said, we will plan to start school on August 18th. So that helped with planning in that it gave people a firm target. And it it was... um, you know, not not for sure at that time whether starting on the 18th would be completely online virtual learning, face-to-face, or a mix. But just to have the idea of this is the, the goal that we're working for, I think was important to help, help people feel a little more um, control and they had something, you know, to kind of grab onto in terms of Absolutely. planning. And so... What we're what we're looking at is starting the first few weeks of school virtually, and just kind of keeping a check on the numbers. I think TEA is given about eight weeks of potential online learning at the beginning of school, and then kind of reevaluating um, for face to face. But but right now, we're going to start virtually with a plan after a few weeks, you know, to go face to face if we can. Awesome. Now, there will be options, um, and we've played around with different ideas in terms of you can go 100% face-to-face, 100% virtually, or a mix. I'm not sure that we're going to do the mix at this point. It looks like it may be one or the other, either face-to-face or virtually. And the district has put up a really nice COVID-19 kind of facts or Q&A um, link on their website so parents and community members can go to that and see the most updated information about reentry. And the district reentry team has worked very hard to create a schedule so that if my student needs to learn virtually, there's a schedule that's associated with what happens in the classroom. So they might join for what we call synchronous learning, which means you're learning at the same time as students in the class, and then also time for asynchronous learning. So that might be accessing online learning on your own time. Okay. So as much as possible, the team is trying to create um, something that's consistent and predictable for folks, whether they're in the classroom or at home to help put some structure around things. And, they're, the reentry team is also really taking the time to communicate safety measures because obviously with with the pandemic that's 
you know, forefront in people's minds. So there's information about, you know, how children will be spaced, um, how things will be cleaned, guidelines about masks, um, you know, movement on the bus, the cafeteria, places where students would normally congregate, you know, in bigger numbers or closer together. So really, you know, thinking pretty, pretty critically and intentionally about, you know, how, how we do spacing, how we do, um, you know, our cleaning processes so that students and staff can be safe. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, it's, it's interesting to listen, like, I think about in the, you know, in January, nobody knew in your school district that you would need a re-entry team. You know what I mean? Like, yes. and, and how quickly right. schools have, have moved and, and just made so much progress in such a, a weird and challenging time. Um, and I've really appreciated as a parent, all the things you said about safety. So you know, the, the spacing, like we're thinking about how kids could even be on a bus, how the rooms are going to be clean, how they're going to be in common spaces. Like there's so much thought to that. And we know like mm-hmm. without a, a doubt that is so important. I also think about um, being a student in a class where all that's going on, which makes sense to part of my brain for safety, but it could also be somewhat fear inducing too. And so mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as districts make so many plans around physical safety, which absolutely we want them to do that, you know, to the max. Um, what, what would you say about the need for what we call felt safety and how can we build mm-hmm. felt safety in in such a way that that kids can access and, you know, the higher parts of their brain so that they can learn? Because while you have a unique gift, I think, and being able to see like the need is sometimes more important than the the educational need. Um, The educational need is still going to be there for some people, I think. And so um, could you just talk about how you would encourage people from district kind of down to uh, the need of felt safety and how you would establish that? So one of the things I feel like the district has been really good at messaging is the idea that you know, we're in a circumstance right now that that's unpredictable. A lot of it feels out of control. It can feel overwhelming. And, you know, we know from brain science how our brains respond to those kind of big stresses. And so the district has really put out the message of, you know, if you need to slow things down, if you need to reduce content, And if you need to take more time to build relationships and check on students and families around getting basic needs met, then you do that first. That's incredible. And so, yeah. And so it's that idea, you know, in terms of helping helping the student feel safe, back to what you said earlier, that seeing the need and then meeting the need, which helps build trust and, you know, which then can help lead to feelings, you know, of safety. If, if I feel like my needs are being met, that somebody's really seeing me and paying attention and responding, then that's going to help me feel safe. Yeah. And yeah, and in, in terms of, of, you know, the adults too, because, you know, I think we can agree that if the adults, if the teachers are feeling stressed and not safe, 
then that just kind of, um, you know, boils over onto the, the students, you know, with the idea of emotional contagion and that you might pick up on somebody else's stress. So just really talking um, from upper level administration on down, like how do we take care of staff? How do we make sure staff are feeling um, kind of cared for and that their needs are met to get them ready to, to work with students and kind of bring that settled, calm feeling to whether it's Zoom or when they're back to face-to-face is key. One of the things that we he- we've heard, I work a lot with our counseling team and they've um, been meeting with administrators um, off and on throughout the end of spring and, and early summer. And one of the things we heard loud and clear was the concern of, of principals, of administrators for their staff. And so we definitely know that um, that concern kind of top down is in play and people are looking to respond and meet those needs. Because again, it's that understanding of getting adults in a good place to help kids, you know, feel that, feel that safety and connection. I really love that because I love that the people in leadership, you know, it's like, the idea that I have some responsibility to to really care for those that I'm leading is um, it's so important right now. I mean, people are all of us are doing things in a way that we're not used to, and we're we're all doing it and with some mm-hmm. level of just of anxiety. I think you know, even people that aren't used to experiencing anxiety, I think, are now because everything's so different. You can't even you know in Texas, you can't go to the store. You can't you know, walk uh, in a public place without a mask on. Well, that's different. We didn't do that before, you know. So, but one of my favorite things that you just said, and I think it's it's really, really important And right now, and I haven't heard it, so I'm going to use it and give you credit in the future if you don't mind. But, but you talked about <laughs> felt safety and, and you kind of related it to physical safety. And then you said when when the adult is stressed, it's like an emotional contagion. And, you know, we can understand mm-hmm. how a contagion flies right now, right? Like we're in the middle of a, a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that in the same way that if I create felt safety, that can spread like a contagion too. And so I, I love that you said emotional contagion because that yes. is just so true. If you were going to encourage you know, people working in the schools, whether they're, they're counselors or teachers or, or administration in the schools or whatever their role, to proactively teach a few of the skills or even just you could just do one or two of TBRI as something really important going in. What, what would you choose for them to try to teach the kids and for you to ensure that they understood too? Okay, so what we've been doing this summer is as a TBRI training team is is trying some of our ideas out with adult learners that then we would expect them to turn around and, and use with their, their students in their classes. And so in, in June, we did a number of TBRI overview trainings, so kind of the big overview of TBRI content and implementation. And then in July, we did a series of TBRI deeper dive sessions. And basically, you know, with, with the idea of 
using kind of a parallel process to take the adult learners through different activities that they could then turn around and share in class. And what we, what we found is that the empowerment piece really, really jumped out first um, because the, the people in the sessions, you know, were talking about their fears, about their concerns coming back and really trying to think about, you know, practically what it was going to look like. You know, we heard over and over the teachers were so excited and they wanted to see their children and they were worried about their children and they were also oh, afraid. Man. That is such a balancing act right there. Wow. Yeah. And so we had talks about what empowering could mean in terms of the work and support. And so part of it was kind of meeting our basic physical needs. So in the deeper dive sessions, we took the teachers through some regulation activities, some um, mindfulness around noticing your body and your state so that you know, you could think about your energy and then kind of translate that into that felt safety, like what kind of energy am I bringing to the class? And then we practiced within those sessions how you would use these activities with students. And we're, we're fortunate in that we also work with social emotional learning, who is in the process of creating circle scripts that teachers are going to be able to use with um classrooms in the fall and also nurture group virtual nurture group with our counselors so that they're going to be able to do virtual nurture group sessions in the fall that's awesome and so what we are able to do then is embed these discrete um, like regulation strategies into like skills practice embedded in the circle and so teachers can then take what they experienced in the deeper dive and, and apply to the, um, you know, the circle work in class. And the, the things that we, we taught in the deeper dive specifically around regulation were um, we used bottom up activities. So bottom up regulation, like breathing, progressive muscle relaxation. And then we also taught top down activities. So a thing like a visualization um, looking and finding all the um, examples of your favorite color in a room. So different ways to engage the brain. And then we talked about as a bridge to connection that anytime you do regulation with another person, you do a co-regulation, it increases the power and the sustainability of that regulation. So that was that was part of what we taught. And we also, as part of the parallel process with teachers, you know, we had them practice that and experience for themselves what their bodies felt like to understand how to be, you know, responsive to their body's needs, which if you tie back into empowerment and the physiological aspect, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Am I tired? Am I not feeling well? And what kind of things we can do to meet those needs? And in a practical sense with empowerment, we also talked to teachers about who are people that you can team with to help get those needs met? So if a student's having having some needs around, you know, the student and their family needs around food or housing or whatever, do I connect with a social worker? Do I connect with a counselor? 
to connect with a parent specialist because it's so easy in this pandemic situation when we're all working from home to feel very isolated and that you have to solve or figure out everything and helping people know who they can reach out to and build those connections with other workers in the district so that it's a team. It's, it's basically a therapeutic net or a therapeutic web that you're creating to support students. So the teacher's part of that, but also, you know, other staff that can meet basic needs. The other thing we talked about with empowerment was empowerment around student voice and student agency. And that's become a huge, um, huge issue. I mean, it's nationally and in our district, but around issues of equity and really working through the circles, through the nurture groups to give students a place to have voice and to express their needs and to have those needs met. And so empowerment has really taken on a range from regulation activities to basic physical needs to student agency kind of all tied together. I am com- just completely blown away. I was like, as I was listening, I was thinking, oh, I want to ask her about that about 40 times. So <laughs> um, it, it's really, really incredible. And um, I just like, I wish that every parent in Austin could listen to this to know and understand how hard y'all are working. Because, you know, I think from the outside, in this situation, like you talked about the, the superintendent announcing August 18th, I think you said, as like the go date and how that was, that was really to bring some felt safety, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at least we know this. Yes. But within this period yes. of time, there's so little information that goes back and forth because it, like you said, every single day something changes. And, and so this just is, I mean, it just is so encouraging to hear. And I just wonder... Uh, from the teacher perspective as they're learning these things and they're, they're actually feeling them, you know, in their body and they're feeling the pressure of, I mean, I'm sure they were all at home learning um, through these sessions. And so, you know, even, Mm -hmm. even stresses like poor internet. And so then I can't get onto the zoom call fast enough or, you know, whatever platform you're using kind of things. But it just, when you said like this safety net and, um, it just is, it's really incredible all the things y'all have thought of to meet all of those needs. And, and when those needs are met, you know, the student can learn. I have one question. So as a teacher, I would imagine, you know, for some of my higher risk kids that have fewer resources or even, you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, that something necessarily went wrong, but just because of circumstance, the parents are working as much as they possibly can to make end meets, ends meet right. and all of that. Um, and you have a student mm-hmm. that's, that's at home alone or trying to access the, the information. When you talk in that, that security net, what's the process for a teacher to try to reach that child who like for some reason can't get logged on or can't get there, not getting the information. And it's not even a, an issue of doesn't want to, it's just a, equity, like you said, y'all are addressing equity issues. Mm -hmm. What is the process or how would you encourage somebody to, you know, in a time when we can't physically come alongside, but come alongside and support that kid? So it, it goes a little bit back to what I mentioned when I was talking about empowerment is that we do try to do things with a team approach in terms of supporting students. We have a 
we have a strong system in our district called the um, child study system, which is where if a, if a student is, is struggling for whatever reason, whether it's attendance or behavior or an academic issue, a health issue, a team of people on the campus comes together to meet to problem solve about how the student can best be supported. And we invite the parents as well because we all want to be, you know, working together on the same page. And so my feeling is that you know, campuses would use a similar technique. Like if a a teacher was concerned about a student, like I can't seem to connect with them for whatever reason, who can help me to do this? And it might be different people at different um, kind of grade levels or elementary versus secondary. We have people in our district called licensed mental health professionals, most are social workers, and they do a lot of home visits, which Obviously, in in this time of COVID can be a challenge, but um, historically, they've been people who help us bridge between school and home. Our counselors also help with that, parent support specialists. At the secondary level, we have folks called graduation coaches. They have a brand new title, but I don't have that off the top of my head. But um, part of it is just, you know, Again, working with the team, because as you mentioned, if I'm a teacher and I have all of this stuff on me, it can just be overwhelming. And, you know, finding people that can help share the load and and reach out is important to, to try to understand what students and families are needing. Our tech department has also been working just nonstop to to make sure that students have access to um laptops to internet and that does continue to be an ongoing challenge for us in a district this size but um i know i know that that's just a work in progress and people are are trying you know to get get that taken care of so i mean i know like as a parent you know and and looking at the options for for my kids um and and in our situation, you know, learning at school is, is really the best opportunity we could create. Um, but, uh, but, you know, then yes. we're balancing like needs for safety. And so then you're looking at all the, all the mm-hmm. needs, um, which is, uh, you know, a fairly normal parent, parent lens that we're looking through. Um, but, but as a parent who is likely going to make the decision when it's available, for my child to return to right. learning at school because that's what we believe is best for them. Um, what do you think I could do to help the school? So as, as a parent, yeah, just, I, you know, I mean, I think it's easy to, to be in the, the, the mindset of like, well, you know, somebody sneezed on my kid today. Like, what are you guys doing at the school? But or, you know, whatever, you know, apparently there's kids walking around without masks. So for, for me as a parent, how could I be more supportive to the challenges that the school is facing um, as opposed to being maybe more adversarial? So I do know that schools do work really hard to stay in communication with parents and different schools do that differently. Um, Some schools have like a campus Facebook. Some schools have 
you know, an email that they send out once a week. Some schools send papers home in a backpack, which obviously right now, you know, is, is very hard to do because we won't be face to face. But um, but accessing the school information is, is key, I think, to, you know, kind of know what's going on um, from the from the school side, what kind of things are in place and. You know, staying in contact with your child's teacher on a regular basis a lot. And we talk to teachers about this a lot. Like, don't wait for something that's, you know, a negative thing to make contact with your parents and fam- families, caregivers. You know, have consistent contact. Just, hey, how are you doing? Um, let's just talk about the good things that are happening and the things that we're working on. And so... I think building in building in a process of, of just, you know, ongoing contact communication so that so that you're in the mix and the teachers, the admin on the campus are hearing from you on a regular basis so that they kind of know concerns and responses don't have to be, you know, this big reactive right, thing. Right. You know, it's, it's the idea that we're all kind of working together to make this a safe place for everybody. And the more we have a sense of, of what's going right and then what the concerns are kind of in the moment, as opposed to this thing kind of builds up and then, boom, it's a big issue. And, you know, people are upset around it. So just probably being proactive with communication, mm-hmm. checking well, right in. Right now, I want to go by everybody and, and a sonic drink. Yeah, that's what I want to do right now. <laughs> Try to figure yeah. out how to help calm their stress systems. <laughs> and, and I think too, as as a parent, um, probably knowing that that the schools are, are trying to be a, as transparent and responsive as they can be, given how quickly information changes, and. Um, yeah, just probably understanding that a little bit is important that that people are, are trying to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, yeah. a lot of change. And and again, understanding that you know, change in the in the best of times can be difficult and right now we're setting sitting with stress systems, you know, just our basic physical bodies are feeling it. And when maybe you encounter someone that's that gives you kind of a, a stressed out response, you know, having a little grace or forgiveness around that. Yeah, both ways. Absolutely. You know, school with parents, parents with schools, we're all in this together and it, it's it's yeah. tough on everyone. And just kind of having that that assumption people are doing the best they can with what they have right now. I think that's so smart and so true because I know that like it's easy to let your, you know, like your own personal moment get carried away. And and so I think like trying to um, be proactive and in the adults staying in their upstairs brains is, is really important. And then just supporting one another. Um, Mm -hmm. Terry, I think it was on a call with your team and forgive me if I've if I'm wrong, but I believe we were talking about one of the fears, you know, 
we've had a lot of behavioral fears over the years that we've addressed with with you guys and and we've problem solved and you guys have problem solved most of them um but i think we were talking about like kind of a new fear for people is you know a kid takes their mask off and like coughs or sneezes across Mm -hmm. the room how would you encourage people to um a like kind of proactively deal with that as we're working you know towards returning to school and then responsively deal with that in the moment and and like you've said so much of of like What's going on here? What what's what's the what's the why behind this behavior? Right. So this is a question that we started kind of wrestling with really last April. And you know, and especially at the elementary level. And so the the elementary counseling team has been kind of working through ideas over the last few months and They've created like a list of um, supports for campus counselors who can then turn around and, and teach and share with, with teachers. Because, I mean, as we all know, with, with behavior, um, you know, even without a, a mask, you know, children sometimes do behaviors that might be um, kind of risky for other folks. And so... You know, like normally you would find ways to teach the skills that you want to see, that proactive teaching, using um, circle time in the class to practice. And the counselors are looking at things like a mask song. So maybe you put the song on, you play it, you practice using your mask. There's a hand washing song because, of course, there's, you know, a song for everything at this point. And just giving kids a chance to practice and and feel comfortable using those things. Um, one of the resources they have is called Wearing a Mask, a Social Narrative. So using social stories for some students about why wearing a mask is important. So really at the start, trying to be proactive, trying to do that practice trying to get it as part of the routine to make it predictable. Obviously, you're going to have some students that may have kind of um, sensory challenges around a mask, like the way it feels on their face, the way the straps feel on their ears. And so they might need a little little more practice with it, or you know, the school might need to think of a creative way for them to use a mask to address you know, the sensory needs. And then I know one of the things the school has talked about or the district has talked about is, you know, maybe an adult sits with a student in a safe space till they calm down um, so that if they're taking their mask off and spitting or coughing, they're more kind of to the side with an adult to kind of help regulate. And, you know, it's... I feel like as we get in and and do school face-to-face, you know, obviously we'll we'll come up with strategies. And part of it, you know, with the whole throwing off the mask or coughing, in in some ways, like I said before, it's not different than a lot of other behaviors of concern we would address and try to address proactively and try to really even get ahead of it, you know, in terms of what are the students' patterns, what are triggers, what's likely to cause this, and how we can get them 
you know, to a good place, a regulated place before that mask comes off. So really working on that. One of the things in the district that I think will be helpful is at this point, there's not going to be a requirement for the very young children to have masks on. So like K through first grade, I think. Um, but I could see definitely starting to do some practice with them to become yeah, comfortable for sure. with it. I think it's it's interesting because I think even when you think behaviorally around around the issue of like taking your, your mask off and maybe sneezing across the room. Just the other day, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, out and wearing my mask and needed to sneeze. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't even know what to do here. <laughs> right, right. Like, what, I mean, do you sneeze into your mask? Do you, like, what do you, you know? And so I think when you talk about proactively teaching, like some of it, sure, it could be like a, a behavioral thing. It also could just be like, I have no idea what to do in this moment. And, and it just all yeah. happens so fast. And then all of a sudden, you know, if, if we're not doing that proactive teaching to make sure the kids know how to do that stuff, then we're going to automatically assume that's a behavior when it's really like, oh, I just, <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do. So. Right, right. And one of the things that we've really incorporated into our trainings, we, Austin Community College gave um, some sessions on improvisational acting and how you can use that on Zoom and in the face-to-face classroom. And so we've been giving the teachers some really kind of fun, hands-on ways that they could use to do something like teach mask wearing and make it into a game that kids all the way through high school could enjoy. So, um, you know, we've really tried to to make the le- the learning fun or, you know, kind of developmentally appropriate for wearing masks and, and you know, just the teacher modeling, the adults mm-hmm. modeling how to do it. So if, if somebody wanted to learn more about the, like the improv and the games y'all are doing, is there a place they could go to do that? Because that sounds so creative and so unique and like something that could really be a huge tool in somebody's toolbox. So um, one of our team members attended, I think, all of the sessions, and she's working on creating a list of activities that people can use. And so I feel like within the next week or two, we would be at a place we could share that list if people were interested. So just kind of how to's for the different um, improv games and how you might use them. That would be amazing. If you you guys are willing to share them, you know, of course we'll make sure that everybody knows where they're from. And I think we can um, put them in like a link to them or whatever in the notes of this podcast. But I would also like I was I was thinking like it makes me want to reach out to maybe the local community college or what are what are maybe my other access points for this kind of information. Mm-hmm. I know that we went through a period of doing a little bit of improv stuff as we were working through role plays and practitioner training and how it can disarm fear so quickly. And so I, I hadn't thought about right. that, but I just think that that's a, a, a great opportunity for people to do something more creative. And, and they're really playful. And so if we know that play disarms fear, mm-hmm. then the kids, if they're at play, they can be engaging and having fun and, and in their upstairs brain, which is what we're hoping for. Right. And, um, you know, because people are also always with this, with online 
like Zoom or um, Teams or whatever um, platform you're using, you know, people are looking for ways to to bring movement into something that can be a pretty static learning experience. And so the improv really, really helps with that, helps break up the the routine. Yeah, that is that is golden. Terry, I could literally sit and chat with you all day. I feel like I have my pages covered in notes and um, I just can't wait to see how some of this plays out. But I want to also, you know, be respectful of your time and and let you get back to the business of taking care of kids. So thank you so much for your time and and really your wisdom. I think it's um, there's just so much gold in here and we're so grateful for you and your experience and you taking the time to share. Well, we are so happy for this opportunity to work together. Karen Purvis Institute with you, Sarah. It's just been an amazing partnership. And I'm just going to say as kind of a parting thing, um, we're looking right now at developing our strategic plan for AISD for the next five years. And trauma-informed practices is one of the things under consideration for the strategic plan. So the district I feel like it is really embracing the work and I think in large part due to TBRI and um, what people have received from, from learning through that model. So you're very much appreciated. Well, that is, that is really, really exciting. And I think that there's, there's not a person in Austin that wouldn't point to you as being a, a huge pivot point in that. So I'm thankful for our partnership too, and for, for all the work that you guys are doing. And I just, I think we're going to look back at this time and, and be convinced that all of the work that you and your team are, are doing is just so pivotal in the success of the, the adults and the kids. So thank you again for being here. Yes. Thank you for having me. Connected Communities is produced by TCU's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. For more information about the resources mentioned in this show, please visit our website, child.tcu.edu slash podcast. Thanks so much for connecting with us today. See you next time.